Uh, before I begin looking at the scripture that we're going to start today, I'm actually going to begin with 2 Corinthians 9.6. And this should be familiar because we just read it. It's our April memory verse. Um, and it says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So our new sermon series, it's a three-week sermon series, we are starting today, and it's called Generous. And if you'll notice, the us is kind of highlighted. This is something that each of us can always be working towards, striving towards to be more and more generous. So today, we want to talk about generosity and the heart that's behind generosity. But I want to start first by celebrating past generosity. I think it's important and super awesome to look at it because the truth is every one of you right now is sitting in someone else's sacrifice. Every single one of us. And the only reason that there is a building is because someone at some point sacrificed to buy it. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm remembering, I don't know the number right, but it was about only 20 or 30 people, a small group, that years ago did that. Some who are still here in our congregation today. And I guarantee you that there was a step of faith to go and buy this building, and then to fix up this building over the years, and more and more people who turned this old bowling alley into a church that we know and love today. And over the years, I'm, it's taken it's take scraping, it's taken fear, it's taken trust, overcoming obstacles. It took, most importantly, generosity to get where we are right now. So my question is, are you content allowing this to be the end of our story? You all are and can be part of this future story. So of course I'm not gonna just celebrate past generosity, I'm also going to encourage and challenge some of you to step up. So there might be future blessing for this church, future ministry opportunity, future salvation, future growth, something brand new could come from the neighborhood church. Because if we don't reinvest our miracles, we'll soon begin to reach the end of them. Every harvest brings us to a crossroad. And there's always this temptation to stop where it's comfortable. And stop and be like, oh man, we like totally stepped out in this situation and that situation. And it was so great. And like, look at what God's done and see where we are. And now we're just going to take it easy. Right? The truth is, every church, every ministry, no matter how dynamic in the world, is in one of these three phases. And it's risk-taking, caretaking, or undertaking. Always one of these. So risk-taking is the initial scrappiness, and this is true in new businesses as well. We start out full of fire, full of excitement, uh, full of zeal. We're willing to take all the risks, right? There's this entrepreneur phase this garage phase, this rent-a-school gym phase, let's meet in our homes phase. You start out that way. But what's easy is to shift into this caretaking phase where now it becomes just status quo. Now we have something to protect, something we like. 
Now we can't afford to take big risks. And so what you can do, and I see this in lots of churches, is you can get to a place where you want to keep the bait tasting like it tasted the day you got caught. Follow me here just for a minute. At one point, there was music. There was a certain style of ministry, certain songs, something that was done this way or that way. There was how this programming element went, how this service went, or how the vibe felt. And at some point, that whole thing is the way that you got caught, right? Jesus said, go fish for men, and you got caught. But the temptation is to think that the bait should always taste like it tasted the day that you got caught, instead of realizing the bait isn't actually for you anymore. It's for the fish that are still in the sea. It's not for the ones in the boat who are now called to be fishermen also, And most of the dysfunction that you'll actually see in churches that exists is because people are getting huffy or irritated because they believe that church should be this way or that way. It doesn't taste the same as it did years ago. Well, I don't think it should be this way. Whatever happened to all the potlucks? Whatever happened to the good old days? But that's how the bait tasted for that season, right? In the Bible, there is this, it reminds me of this always, this epic miracle in the Bible where the sun stood still and time just froze. Like, it's a great miracle. I might say that miracle is being repeated in churches all over, where time just stands still. We're stuck in a moment, in a vibe, in the way that the services are run, the architecture of the whole feel of the service, the set list. The whole thing is how it was at one point, and everyone wants it to just stay there because no one likes change. We want to be comfortable. But we can't have that posture. We need to be willing to not sacrifice a generation for our preferences. We need to be willing to see things we don't even like for the sake of the gospel, to reach people that no one's reaching. And that should, be, that should be the mentality and the posture that keeps us perpetually in risk-taking phase. And I sense that the neighborhood church is up to some really big things. We've done great things, but I think there's so much more for us. And it's going to take change and risk-taking and believing again and dreaming again to, take out, to, to step out and take those risks. And to keep being generous with our finances, our time, our commitment. Going and keep reaching until either heaven is em- or hell is empty or heaven is full. Or we're dead. One of the three. So I celebrate all who came before and have sacrificed since the beginning till now. Everything we have, the coffee, the programs, the lights, the power, the heat, the screens, the staff, the building we all enjoy around here, it's because of someone else's sacrifice. So I applaud that and I thank each of you for it. But now, the more challenging part. We're gonna look at John 12, verses one to eight. And before we go there, before I read it, I want you to think of these two questions as I'm speaking tonight. What is Jesus worth to you? What value do you place on the only Son of God? Because in our text today, we're going to see a contrast between one who places infinite value upon Jesus and another who puts value on money, 
more than Jesus. Mary will be sitting across from Lazarus, realizing the value of Jesus, her affection and love of Christ cannot be measured. But then on a very sad note, we see across the room a man who's only interested in money. And he's been with Jesus almost from the very beginning. This man's seen miracles, heard him preach, heard him teach, but through it all, his heart remains unchanged. His affection is not for Jesus, but for the coins, for the money in the money bag that he has been placed in charge of. So while Mary wants just one more minute with Jesus, Judas wants just one more coin. This banquet reveals the hearts of these two people. One cherishes her Lord above all things, and the other cherishes money above all things. So let's look at John chapter 12, verse 1. Reading from the King James, the New King James Version. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So it's a Saturday night in Bethany, a small village near Jerusalem, amazing mix of people in the room for this supper to honor Jesus. And of course, Martha was serving, bless her heart. Lazarus was sitting there, some say reclining with Jesus at the table, just enjoying his company. There's nothing wrong with that. A few days earlier, Lazarus was a rotting corpse, like he was dead. But now, because of Jesus, he is alive, he's cured, and getting ready to feast with Jesus. And that will be our story one day. After we've all died from whatever kills us, whether it's sickness or old age or an accident or whatever, we will be cured and sitting with Jesus at a great, great banquet feast. So it's a beautiful feast, and tonight is the last happy evening Jesus will know. Because tomorrow he begins his final journey to the cross. Tonight they celebrate. Tomorrow he will enter Jerusalem. In six days he will hang on a cross. And as I pondered this dinner party, my eyes, like I said, are rested on two people. Mary and Judas. Mary never says a word. Judas seems to say too much. One reveals her high by what she does, and the other by what he says. So let's continue reading. Verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what he was... He used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for for my day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. So the context of this story is important. Because as we read in the opening part of the passage, it involves the two sisters and their brother. So Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we know that they're successful financially in some way. They were prospering with their resources and they chose to build God's kingdom with those resources, which all at once kind of confronts this popular common misconception. And this is how it's spiritual to be known as poor, but somehow unholy to be rich. 
which is completely in opposition with what scripture teaches, that how much you have really has nothing to do whether you're pleasing God or not, but rather it's what you choose to do with what you have. For you can be greedy and you can be stingy and money can be a God to you, even though you don't have any of it. On the other hand, you can be rich and have lots of money and lots of resources, but with that, with that blessing, you're able to bless lots of people and help build God's kingdom. If I can say it like this, money is like a brick, okay? Is a brick good or bad? Well, I would ask you, what are you going to do with that brick? Are you going to build a children's hospital or a church? I'd say that's good. Are you going to hit somebody over the head with it? I would say that's bad, right? So is money good or bad? Well, do you worship it as God or do you worship God with it? Money is a tool, right? Or it's something, or is it something that's in your heart that's actually keeping you from what God has in store for you? In Matthew 6, 24, it says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We've got to lose our love for money. And I know that this is like easier said than done. The only way, the only way that we can do that is to see Jesus as infinitely valuable. And I think that the secret is to let money be in your hand, but never let it get into your heart. To be in a place where you can have money, but not let it control you. And that seems to be where Lazarus and Mary and Martha were. I'm thinking they had a fairly big house because they've allowed Jesus and his whole crew to crash there with them. And they're also able to use this home as a form of hospitality and celebration, a blessing, right? This generosity to bless Jesus like they did. So back to scripture. It says Lazarus has been dead. So one day, if you don't know the story, Lazarus got sick and he died. Jesus, who Mary and Martha asked specifically to heal their brother, did nothing. And why? Well, Charles Spurgeon, a pastor and author in the late 1800s, there's so many things this man quotes that I love, put it this way. If the Lord does not pay in silver, he will pay in gold. And if he does not pay in gold, he will pay in diamonds. If he doesn't give you what you ask for, perhaps it's because he intends to give you what you wouldn't even have the faith to believe for. And that's exactly what could be happening today, right? Like some of you right now, you feel like you're in a place where God's not answering your prayers or he's not answering them like you would like him to answer them. But maybe it's because he's intending to glorify his name and build up your life in ways that you can't even imagine. If there's one thing that I could ever go back and tell myself back in time, and people ask you that question all the time. I've come to the conclusion that this would be it. Yasmin, God wants to do more through you than you think he can. But it's going to hurt more than you think it will. And I really believe that at times we just don't understand that there's going to be pain and discomfort and risk to get to these places that we ourselves want to be. And this includes our money. This includes our giftings. So Lazarus dies and Jesus shows up at the funeral. Like he's dead. They think it's over. 
And you know this because the very first line spoils that, right? In John 12, it says that he's rises from the dead. If you want to read it, it's in the, right, the previous chapter, chapter 11, which is so crazy when you think about it, that he was dead. And the only two people that have ever been resurrected are sitting at the table reclining and chatting. It's, it's kind of amazing how God uses these things to glorify himself in such a unique way. So back to the party. So Mary and Martha's reaction was to throw a party. This amazing miracle, let's celebrate, which is kind of what I said after we finished worship today. Let's celebrate that my brother, who was dead, is alive again. And that should always be our posture as we come to church each weekend. That we should always have that mentality to strike up the music and get excited and raise your hands and shout and and praise and, and worship. Because those who were dead are alive again. We were dead in sin. We were headed to hell. We had no future. But God is so wonderful. He's rich in mercy and love, and he loved us while we were still sinners. Gave himself for us. Church is always a celebration of someone who was dead and is alive again. And as such, it should be full of life. It should be full of celebration. The noise and the shouts and the cheers should be heard from everywhere. And it just should be a really exciting to be, place to be every weekend. So Mary and Martha, they're throwing this party of celebration. Someone who they loved coming back to life. And somehow at the party, we get the sense that Mary doesn't think that that's enough. Because she gets up from the table, gets a bottle of perfume, and without a word, this girl who's so astonished by God's goodness, she falls down at the feet of Jesus. And just a sidebar here. We can learn a lot from this woman, Mary. Mary shows up three times in scripture. All of them, every single one, she's at the feet of Jesus. Everyone. When Jesus was teaching, she fell at his feet to learn. When her life was falling apart, she fell at his feet to be healed. And here on this day, when God's moved so marvelously in her family, she fell at his feet to say thank you and to worship him. And to worship him in an extravagant way. But she didn't say thank you, just say thank you. She had something in her hands to show that she was thankful. See, love always gives. Always, 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 always. You can give without loving, I know that, but you can't love without giving. Whether you love, whatever it is that you love in your life, you will give towards that. Any passion that's in your, in your life, there will be a financial trail that leads to that one thing. You can post all the things on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest saying that you love God so, so, so much and he's in your heart. But show me your Amazon account. Show me your bank account. I'll find out what you're really passionate about. Because when you care about something, whether it's travel or golf or clothes or sports or your kids, shoes, and these aren't bad things, your money flows towards your passion. Can we agree with that? So if we say we're passionate about God, we're passionate about Jesus, love always gives. So Jesus puts it this way, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. 
Anything you care about, money flows towards it. If you don't believe me, look at your bank account and figure that out. And so on this day, she didn't just say thank you. She did what God did. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. He didn't just love us and then that's it. He gave. He always gives. Love always gives. So she comes with gift to give. She falls at his feet to show her love, her appreciation, and her worship. So there's a couple things that I noticed that she taught me about generosity in this passage that I want to share with you. The first one, which this is super important part of the message, is Mary gave what she could. The text tells us in this that it was one pound of spikenard. That's what she could give. Now, luckily, Judas criticized her gift. Luckily, criticized her worship, told her how to do her ministry, how it should be conducted. Luckily, he interjected and said, this shouldn't be happening. This whole thing is wrong because Judas is obsessed with money. Mary is obsessed with Jesus. And I say luckily he did that because normally... That would not be my mentality towards critics at all. Because to be honest, it's very easy to critique and criticize others when our heart isn't right. However, I am grateful that he did this because now we find out what this bottle of perfume is actually worth. So in verse 4, it says, right out of Judas' mouth, this was worth 300 denarii. So one singular denarii was a day's wage for a day's labor. So... It's basically a year's worth of your wages, but let's just say it was minimum wage in our province, which is $13 an hour, so you make like $104 per day. You times that by 300, right? You take out vacation and Sabbath days and stat days and all those things, and approximately you're making $31,000. Everyone's incomes are different, but just say as a lowball. That's a lot, right? That's a lot to spill out. But don't miss this, a $31,000 gift, but that was what she could do. That is what Mary had, she could do that. Why? That was where she was at. So above and beyond what she was already doing regularly, supporting Jesus's ministry in this ongoing way, sort of like tithing, this now is an above and beyond way to demonstrate her heart of gratitude for what Jesus was doing and to believe forward for what he would do in a significant way. But that's what she could do. So here's the question. What can you do? If I were to say to you, would you consider a $31,000 gift to the ministry at this church? Above and beyond your normal tithes. To expand the vision of the neighborhood church. To say, I believe in this church so much and what's happening here and what it's meant for me and my kids and my grandkids, hopefully, and my great-grandkids and so forth, that you're, that's your heart, your mentality. Would you consider a $31,000 gift above and beyond your normal tithing? Some of you will say, absolutely. Sign me up. And others of you would say, you know, the only way I could possibly do that would be to sell absolutely everything I own and maybe a liver, right? 
The point is, some of you would say that that's ridiculous. There's no way that you could give at that level. But that doesn't matter because you're not called to give what, you're not, you're not called to give what others give. You're called to give what you can. Not what Mary could, not what others can do. Because others of you, quite frankly, could give $31,000 above and beyond. And it would be a joke. You could do it and barely even feel it leaving your bank account. You might spend that on landscaping or travel last year, right? So the point I'm trying to make here is the number is not the amount. The proportion is. God never looks at the portion of a gift. He only considers the proportion. Your contributions against your capacity. Don't look at other people's amounts. Some can give and never feel it. The key isn't equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. She gave what she could. And the danger for any of us isn't that we won't do what someone else could do, but that we won't do what we can do. Because we think, oh, like I'm really struggling here, I'm barely making ends meet, so I really can't afford this. And the truth is, everyone who I've ever met who argues against tithing almost always tells me that they can't afford it. But yet, almost everyone I've ever met who tithes, regardless of the amounts, tells me they feel financially blessed and to give to God, and then they get blessed again, and they feel so blessed by God. So ask yourself that question. Do you want to be in the group that can't afford tithes or the people who say that I'm blessed by God? I think I'd rather be in the second category. And the truth is, I would go as far to say, you can't afford not to tithe. I would say to you, you just can't afford not to. Now, maybe you look at your little amount, because some of us have very small tithing amounts, and you go, well, the church doesn't need my money. Shouldn't this be sold and given to the poor? You see what I did there, right? We have to be careful. Jesus said to Judas, really? You think the poor should be given to? Then go ahead and do it. Because the poor are always with you. Go and do something for them then, Judas. It's not a reason not to give. I'm not going to have you micromanage what I've touched Mary's heart to do in this moment. Jesus specifically said she had done what she could. We're all called to do what we can. So are you doing what you can? This always makes me think of another story in scripture, which I'm sure you've probably heard me talk about a million times, but I can't not say it. So there was a time when Jesus was about to feed 5,000, or sorry, 4,000 people in Matthew 15. And the crowd had been following him for three days and they had nothing to eat and they had to figure out how to feed all of these people. And the disciples said, how are we to get enough bread in this place to feed such a great crowd? And Jesus, in verse 34, says, how many loaves do you have? What do you have? He can multiply it. He can do so much with so little. So what can you do? And the second thing that she's taught me in this is she gave well she could. How many days before the Passover was this gift given? Six days. 
What happened on the Passover where Jesus had the Last Supper? He was arrested. We celebrated this last weekend. He was arrested, and then the next day he hangs on the cross, and then he dies. So question, if Mary would have thought, I'm so touched that he's given me my brother back. I want to do something really great for Jesus. He's always coming through. He's so amazing. Let's give him a party next year. Maybe next month. I'll give him a gift of perfume and worship him at his feet next year. Well, the answer, of course, is she never would have gotten the opportunity to do it. Because Jesus would die, resurrect, and then eventually ascend. So this literally was the only moment she ever would have been able to do this. And that, to me, I think speaks of this important idea that the right time to do the right thing is right now. And if you don't seize these moments of generosity, they just pass us by. If she wouldn't have done that, Jesus' body would have gone into the tomb unanointed. Right? We talked about this on Easter weekend, Pastor Jordan and I. The actual anointing was going to happen on that Easter Sunday when the women came to the tomb with the spices to anoint the body. But he went ahead and rose from the dead, so they never got to do that. So as Jesus sat there at the table, looking down at his feet, watching Mary pour onto him the smell of roses from northern India, which is what spikenard is, covering his legs and his feet, he was being anointed. And he would carry that beautiful, extravagant worship, this beautiful aroma with him all the way to the cross. Because this woman did not miss her opportunity. And for some of you, this message might encourage you. And you might think to yourself, okay. Or you might talk to your spouse and say, okay, we're, we're going to start being generous next year. Eventually. Eventually. That was such a good talk. She's so right. Yep, that's in scripture. Yep. Let's circle back around when this happens or when that happens or this picks up or I pay this off or we go here. Then we'll start tithing. Then we'll start giving beyond, over and beyond. When this or that happens, we'll start giving then. Eventually, someday, one day, right? But like I said, the right time to do the right thing is right now. When it doesn't make sense on paper. When it's a step of faith. When it's something that you would have to actually trust God to walk in. And just encouraging you to do that and to believe to take this step of faithfulness where you will be met by your faithful God. So there was a story I found online, and Pastor Jordan is going to be so proud of me because it's a football reference. And we all know he loves his football references. And it was Derek Carr. It's an NFL player who now plays for the New Orleans Saints. But back in 2017, and for nine years, he was a quarterback for the Oakland Raiders. And in 2017, he became the highest paid quarterback in NFL history. $125 million contract. He was interviewed and asked, what are you going to do with your payday? Thinking, you know, he's going to say, I'm going to dip my teeth in gold and diamonds and, you know, buy a trip, buy a house, buy a car, tiger, I don't know, whatever rich people seem to do these days. But he said this, 
First thing I will do is pay my tithes, like I have since I was in college, giving $700 on a scholarship check. That won't change. I'll do that. And then later on in the interview, he said, the exciting thing for me, money-wise, honestly, is that this money is going to help a lot of people. I'm very thankful to have it, and it's in our hands because it's going to help people, not only in this country, but in countries all over the world. But I want to tell you something. You don't just start tithing when you get $125 million one day. <laughs> not for the first time. For those of you who may say, oh, if I ever, you know, make it big, um, I'm going to buy a church building, change the parking lot. If I win the lottery, I'll start tithing then. I'll give so much to the church, this, that, or whatever. No, no. You will be the same generous person with millions as you are with what you have now. The amount may look different, but the sacrifice will be the same. And it can also be said that you'll be the same stingy person with millions that you were with none. Generosity works on all budgets. Mary gave what she could while she could. This is what she has. And she lays it down at the feet of Jesus in this extravagant form of worship. We need to get to a place where money isn't so hard to part with. It's seriously the hardest thing for us to do, for us to give up. And we have to be careful not to make it this idol, this thing that's above God. After all, everything, after all, everything that we have is actually from him. So let us use his blessings to bless him and to honor him. So I give from what I have. And if God gives me more, I give from that too. Different amounts, but the sacrifice is exactly the same. It starts here and now from where you are. So I'm going to end with a story, and then the worship team is going to come out. It's from a book called The Gift of Magi, which many of you may know, because it's kids' books, adult books, it's been in plays. It's a beautiful story. It's a story of a couple named Della and Jim. They were both very poor, but very much in love with each other. The only thing about the relationship was that they both had a treasured possession. Della's beautiful hair was her glory. When it was let down, it covered her whole body like a gown. Jim owned a gold watch. It was a treasure passed down from his grandfather. The day before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, Della decided she wanted to give Jim something really special, but she only had $2. So she arranged to have her hair cut. Its sale resulted in $20, which she used to buy Jim a lovely platinum pouch for his watch. On Christmas Day, Jim was shocked when he realized what Della had done as he handed, him, handed her his gift. It was a set of tortoise shell combs with a jeweled edge. He had sold his watch. They had given all they had. You see, real love can't think of any other way but giving. Mary and Martha had complete trust in Jesus. Like a week or so earlier, they were grieving as they stood over their brother's dead body. You know, like if only you'd been there, Lazarus would not have died. Mary would never forget what happened. Now she sees her brother sitting and reclining with Jesus, and she's busting with wonder and gratitude. 
She was soaking up Jesus' presence. This man who has opened up this whole new world to her. She loves Jesus deeply, and love gives, so she gave. Mary was generous with her finances and with her worship and with herself. She had freely received, and now in an act of consecration, an act of devotion and worship, she freely gave everything she had. So in a few weeks, um, on May 6th and 7th, we're going to have a generous weekend. And I want you to take time and pray and see what God will have you do. Hopefully, we're all tithing. If not, I encourage you to start, even if it's small. Remember, it's what you can do. But on that generous weekend, really ask yourself what you can do. See what God might have in store for you, what God might want you to step into. Go over and beyond if you can. I encourage you to do that, but to take time. Everyone's amounts are different. Someone's $5 can be more of a sacrifice than someone's $10,000. Equal sacrifice. Finances following your passion. I'm hoping that that's directed toward Jesus first, and then everything else comes after. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray and go into a time of worship. I know this is a tough message to hear. I know it's not fun. Trust me, it's not fun talking about money um, and finances, but we are called to live this generous life financially, as well as serving, as well as just being a generous person, right? So let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for this church, for the neighborhood church. I thank you for all the years and all the generations who have given so sacrificially over the years. I ask that you bless them, Father. I thank you that you've called us to live a life of radical generosity. So examine our hearts, Father, as we let these words, this message, this challenge run through our hearts and minds, Father. Just soften us up just a little bit. Money and sacrifice are, and money and sacrifice are such touchy subjects. So help us see where our value and our heart should be, Father. Help our hearts burn for you, Jesus. Burn and be passionate for extraordinary living, extravagant worship, so we can see you do the amazing things, Father. We want you to use us. Give us a heart to want to give things up that have such a hold on us, Father, so that we can set our eyes and our hearts on you and we can have complete trust in you, Father. And we worship you. I thank you for your sacrifice that we just celebrated last weekend. I thank you that you show us the best example of love and what it looks like to sacrificially give. And Father, if there's anyone in here today that does not know you, I ask that you meet, you, meet them where they're at right now. That you have a special encounter with them. That they will know, that they will want to know you and follow you. And give them the courage to step out and to say yes, Father. And the courage to even talk to one of us about it. I thank you for this church, everything and everyone that's in it and been a part of it. And I pray, Father, that we can use it for your glory, Father, to celebrate you, Father. That we can use it to be part of your story and all that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray.